0: We love you in Jesus' name, amen. I was thinking this week, you know, it's, it's hard to get away from the news. It's hard to get away from rhetoric. It's hard to get away from commentary. It's hard to get away from these conversations, isn't it, about what's going on in our world and what's going on in our culture and how to fix it and how to help it and and um, what we can do to kind of steer this chaos in a different direction, what we can do in our own lives and what we can do in our own homes and really what we can do in our own relationships and friendships and cities. Um the conversations are are myriad. They they take on different forms and everybody has a different view and um you know uh it seems like per person uh there's a different viewpoint on on everything that we're experiencing and, and what's going on in our lives and, and that's okay. We need to talk. We should talk more um than we do other things. And um but really uh after talking we should take some action uh and and we should ask questions not of ourselves only but we should ask God questions about ourselves uh In pertaining to what we're to do in in this world and in our lives um, individually, and if you have a family, and if you're married, and certainly if you work and exist in the world, which we all do, we should be asking God what He wants us to do. We should be asking God what His heart is. We should be pursuing His truth, and we should be trying to emulate that uh, in our lives and live it out. It's not always easy. Um, but we can ask him for wisdom and help to do that. And what's cool about God is he says in his word that if we ask him for wisdom, that he will give it to us. And he uses his word as translated into our language as liberally, meaning he will open it up and he will give it to us out of the goodness of his heart. The Bible also says in another place that God, when asked for wisdom, will give us a treasure trove of it. He will unload it on us. And so we need his wisdom in how to live and how to act and how to make decisions, and how to do relationships, how to be married, right? Um, How to parent kids, uh, and certainly how to navigate these issues in our world that we are confronting today. And these issues um, that seemingly are new, they're not really new, um, you know, violence and uh, injustice, has been a part of the world for since the dawn of civilization, since the beginning of time. It just seems like there's more eyes on things now. And so we, we're we able to view it more. We're able to gawk at it more. We're able to see it more. So because we uh, optically can see it more and know it more and ingest it more, we think there's more of it. But really it's not. It's just kind of coming closer and closer to where we live. And so I was thinking for the believer And for the person who says they know Jesus and want to follow him and want to make a difference in the world and be on mission, you know, what, what should we emulate and what should we do? Well, the Bible's pretty clear that we can talk truth all day. We can tell people what the scriptures say and, and we can, we can do that in a a way that is compassionate and and in a way that will help them. And, And those conversations, although sometimes we make them difficult, are sometimes easier to have than we, than we think. Uh, in the course of a a daily routine, whether we're working with somebody or or we're hanging out or we're exercising with someone or whatever, those uh, conversations tend to be a little easier um, and and can flow a little better than than sometimes we make out. And so we should do that. We should talk. We should have conversations. And we should speak truth. And we should do it with compassion. We should love people. A few weeks ago, we talked about uh, expressing our hope from first Peter 3, and what it means to actually share your hope. And, and hope expresses itself in love. And that if we speak truth without love, then the Bible says that we just simply make noise. And no one really listens to that no one can really uh, receive that or ingest that. And Paul made that pretty clear several times in his letters in the New Testament that without the love, I could have all the gifts, I could have every, all the talent, all the experience, and I could be really good at talking and what I do, and I could be an incredible person. But at the end of the day, if I speak truth and I leave love out, then it's just a lot of noise. And so no one's learning anything. So we should have the conversations, we should speak truth, and we should share love. And God makes it clear that if we do that, with his power and his strength through us, things can be different, and things can change, and we can be used to make a difference. I was thinking this week, though, there has to be something else. And you know, and I know that there are other things that we are supposed to be and that we are supposed to do that will help people grow, change, and will make a difference where we live and where we're at. There's a a list of them. I settled on one other one. So we need God's wisdom to speak truth. We need to speak truth and we need to be compassionate and loving when speaking truth so that people will hear us and so that God can do his work. And then I think we need to express in our lives, as believers, self-control. I think that self-control is one of the least utilized and probably one of the most effective things that we can do in our lives, in every area of our lives, especially when it comes to trying to make a, a real difference in things that is often not used or not exercised in us. And so I was thinking this week that what would it look like if people who are called by God, living in the world, in this world right now that is tremendously confusing and messed up, and that we have a really incredible opportunity to speak peace and life and hope and love into, in this world, if somehow the believer, the follower of Christ, The purveyor of truth, the speaker of truth, could somehow exercise self control in all things. When doing life and when talking, I really believe that that could make an incredible impact. Self control is not self mastery, self mastery is different from self control. Self-mastery is basically just the repression or the stuffing down of your true feelings. You are mastering negative feelings often. You are mastering things that if let out, will damage. That if let out or expressed, you might not have no friends. If let out or expressed, might really be something you'll regret later. So self-mastery, yes, definitely is helpful, But at the end of the day, it's different from self-control. Self-control is actually no control of self at all. It is allowing God to control self. So that in him and through his power and strength, I can then live my life in the discipline of self-control. Not in self-mastery where I'm just basically won over my repressed feelings that I, I feel anyway. It's. I'm a movie watcher. I, I, sometimes I'm too much of a movie quoter. Um, but uh, there is this this older movie. Uh, the, it's called A League of Their Own. Have you seen this movie? It's about you know an, uh, it's a, you know it's a historical thing. It's it's a drama. It's not it's fiction, but it's based on some historical stuff that that in the early days during World War II, uh, women formed uh, a baseball league and 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 played baseball. It's a really cool movie. Funny. Um, there is this part in there where Tom Hanks' character is a former, uh, you know, he's a former Hall of Famer who played baseball, and um, he, he's, he was injured, so he didn't go and fight in the war, and he has been called and commissioned to coach a women's baseball team. Uh, those of you who've seen this, you know, it's it, it incredibly funny in parts. There is this part where he finally decides he's going to coach and not just sit in the dugout and sleep. Um He decides, you know what, I'm stuck with this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to have a little bit of a better attitude. And I'm going to try to actually coach this team. And so there's this incredible scene where one of the girls in the outfield runs a ball down and throws it into the infield, and it goes over to somebody's head, and goes over here, and then one girl throws it over here, and it's just a mess. This play is a mess, and this other team is rounding the bases and scoring and, and, and whatever. So they finally get the other team out, and they go to come into the dugout, and Tom Hanks meets the girl from the outfield, and this is what he does. Those of you who have seen it, he starts talking to her, and he's going like this. Next season, we'll work on throwing to the cutoff. Okay? Good try. Oh, it's okay. When in reality, he wants to absolutely strangle her and scream at her and just, you know, completely humiliate her in front of the whole team. That's self-mastery. Self-mastery is, okay, throw to the cutoff, but in off-season, we'll work on it. Self-mastery is when I'm put in a situation in life, relationally, at work, with my kids, with my spouse, in the body of Christ. It's fighting back those feelings that I really want to express. This is different than the Holy Spirit-driven self-control. Because at the end of the day, self-control that is given to us by God and helped by God is the expression of his feelings, It's the expression of his character through me. So I don't have to shake. There are times when we do. But if the Spirit, in a way, is working in our life to exhibit self-control and to express self-control, we are then truly actually acting out of the heart of God. We are expressing his character, his nature, his person, and how he would desire for us to act in that situation. In the book of Titus, chapter 2, it says this, verse 11 For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. It's pretty relevant, isn't it? For anybody that, that doesn't think the Bible's relevant. Uh, Paul is obviously writing in a, in, in a different time frame. and he, This is not written necessarily to us, it's for us. But, but boy, can't we all say that this would be good things to live out in this present age? Some pretty good stuff. I think it would help. Verse 13, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. I love the last line. A people that are his very own, that are eager to do what is good. You know what that word means? It means that, it means excited. It means looking forward to. So he, he gives us this list of things that, that Christ dying on the cross and coming and being revealed to us and his grace being given to us teaches us and allows us to do. He says it allows us to live self-controlled lives that are upright and godly and that we can resist things that the world brings to us and we can resist temptation through him. And not only that, we can be excited and looking forward to doing good things. So it not just, not only helps me not do certain things, it really frees me and empowers me to do certain things. And the Bible is pretty descriptive. It says good things. So as he talks about this, I think it's important to know one thing about the first part of this little passage, that Jesus Christ is revealed to us. And what that means is this, that that we have been given God's salvation through Christ. So Christ came, he died, and he rose again. Through that, he brought glory to God, and through that, he rescued us. And he gave us God's salvation. So he He bridged the gap, that existed between us and God in the form of sin that we are born into. We were joking at dinner last night that, that we do not have, if you ever want a great uh, example of original sin, look at your children. You don't, we don't have to teach them how to sin. Right? I never had to teach my daughter how to lie. Never had to teach her how to not obey. Never had to teach her how to just run up. And go wild and crazy. Never never had to teach her those attitudes that these she's exhibits that come out of her nature. <laughs> oh, it's original sin. Oh, she's a sinner. Didn't have to teach her. So Christ bridges the gap there. He who knew no sin became sin for us, so that what? We may be made the righteousness of God in him. So that we maybe have that relationship with him that was originally designed, that, that, that was desired by God when he made man. So Christ does this for us. And then he saves us from that sin. And he he sets us apart to this life to live for him and says, When you die, you will not experience death in that way. You will live forever in my presence. And this is what Christ's revelation in him does for us it gives us salvation. Unfortunately, a lot of times in the American church and in Christianity in general, we stop there. Oh, I'm so thankful for Jesus. Oh, Jesus, he loves me. Hands raised. Oh, it's an amazing line. But what's amazing about the relationship with Jesus is that it doesn't just stop with Christ saving us and with him satisfying the judgment and wrath of God in Christ. It doesn't just stop there. The Bible is clear that in the revelation of Christ, we also have an example of how we should live. And through a relationship with Jesus, he gives us help. Aren't you encouraged by the fact that, like Brian prayed, that this isn't a mystery, we don't have to solve a puzzle, or look under bushes, I think was his analogy, and, and, and we don't have to go trying to find this thing. There are parts of faith that are mysterious that we trust God for and all of that. But in having a relationship with him and walking with him and living for him, he's given us a revelation. Not only in Jesus, but in his word. And so we can read it and we can know it, we can understand it. But he also shows us that not only are we saved by, through Christ, that through the grace that was poured out on us in Christ, it shows us how to live. And he says, I'll help you. He even told his disciples, I have to go away, but what's really cool is I'm gonna send a helper to help you live and to live your life and to make decisions and to make a difference and to make an impact and to live with self-control and love and wisdom. Don't you get encouraged by that? Don't you find confidence in that? I love it when somebody tells me to do something that I'm not sure I know what to do and they say those beautiful words, and I'll help you. It's very difficult to be given a task or to be told to do something. And, and yes, we can figure it out in our own way. And that's the problem sometimes. And then to try to do that task. And the one who tasked us says, I got nothing for you. I'm not going to help you. That is not true of our relationship with Jesus. It's not true of our relationship with God. He says, through Christ, I'll go away. I'll send the helper. And you know what's insane about that passage that Jesus is talking to his disciples? It almost makes no sense. But this is what he said. These are the words of Christ. He said, when I go away and the helper comes, greater works will you do than even I. Are you kidding? Great, greater works than Christ? It's not what I said. It's what he said. Because he said, I will help you. I'll give you help. So we can't stop at the idea of Christ's revelation and him saving us. The scriptures and his life even, in and of itself, gives us an example of how we should live. And so in this passage when Paul says, all for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people, in verse 12, he says, it teaches us to say no, and then it teaches us to live this way. So what's so beautiful about having a relationship with Christ is that his grace is poured out on us in salvation, and it is poured out on us to live how he would want us to. So the grace that Christ, that God extended to us in Christ doesn't just save It sustains. So it's not just something we throw our hands up and get excited about because we're saved now. It is the thing that we should get excited about and that we should push forward to because God is helping us live like him. And so that's the beauty of the grace that he gives us. Now, grace can be a tricky thing. So let me pause real quick and say this, all right? Grace is not the freedom to do what we want, It is the freedom to do what is right. Watch this in Romans 6 real quick. Verse one, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not, exclamation point. I didn't yell that, but I kind of wanted to because it is an exclamation. It is a shout. Should we sin just because we have grace? I I mean, God's grace is there. He gives it to us. He loves me through Jesus, then that gives me total license to sin. No, it, it gives me freedom to love. It gives me the freedom through his grace to do what he desires, to do what is right. So I'm really freed up not to do what I want. I'm I'm freed up to do what he wants. It's amazing. And in doing what he wants, boy, that changes the scope of what I want, right? And it changes the scope of what we can do in the world, and how God can use our lives. Of course not, he says. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in that? And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may have new lives. So just just as Christ was raised from the dead, he raises us. He changes our life. He gives us a new life. He, He tells us and empowers us and gives us help to live differently. He gives us the freedom through his grace to do what is right, not what we want. Because of grace. I mean, in Romans 8, he says, like, the, it's the greatest line that, that years ago I saw and that I constantly try to remember and write down when I remember it. Is this a line in Romans 8 where Paul says, because of grace, because of Christ, you and I are under no obligation to sin. In fact, in any situation, because of Jesus in your life and in mine, and because of the grace that he's poured out on us, I don't have to sin when tempted. There's no written rule that says, oh, I just couldn't overcome it. I just couldn't not do it. I just couldn't live with self-control. He says you're absolutely under no obligation because of grace. (laughs) You don't have to. So don't. So when he says grace has been poured out, it is the grace of God That helps us live Not just saves us And it gives us a freedom To not do what we want and be destructive But to do what is right And when it comes time When we're tempted with destruction And to do things that are are really negative And bad and things that will bear really badly On our lives Then we through grace have the ability Not to do them Or no obligation you don't have to So the same grace that saved you is the same grace that sustains you, that helps you and me live. And it helps us and teaches us. What does it teach us? Well, in this passage it says, it, the grace of God, teaches us to have self-control. So It says, through this power of God and through his grace, it teaches us to live self-controlled lives. So in and of itself, it teaches us not to exhibit self-mastery and to repress the things that we really want to do. It teaches us, and helps us change those things that we really want to do into what God desires to come out of our lives. So as that applies to everything practically in my life, my marriage, my parenting, my individual life, friendships, big one, then I am, with God's help through his grace and through his power, exhibiting a self-control that can be applied in those situations that I'm under no obligation to sin just because I was provoked, I'm under no obligation to sin because it would be justified. My friends would understand if I punched this guy in the face. My, I mean, my family would understand if I cut this person off and flipped them off. And, I mean, my, my boss would understand if I took this. You know, I mean, we get it. We're all sitting here, you know. We, you know these people understand. We're just talking. We're not gossiping. True self-control is the exchange of my repressed feelings and the things that I really want to let out and give you. It is the total reformation and change of that, reclamation of that and just total change of that into what God desires to come out of my life. So he says, through grace, it teaches us to have self-control. And then he applies it. So how do we have self-control? So through grace, we have self-control, which is the exchange of my repressed feelings for God's desire in my life in any situation. That, that I'm not actually controlling myself at all. He is. Because when I control myself, it's an issue. I have problems when I'm in control. I, I often, it often doesn't turn out well. But when he's controlling, then I have true self-control and those things are expressed to bring glory to him and it's for the good of other people. And as that is applied, he says, the grace of God teaches us to use self-control, live self-controlled lives when tempted. To, to say no to ungodly things. To say no to sin, to you don't have to. You're under no obligation. To say no when you're tempted in that way and in every way. To say no when you have unlimited access to the internet and no one's around. Uh, to say no when social media calls to you, beckons to you, to say something that would better left be unsaid. I heard this quote this week. One of my favorite old, old school preachers, Chuck Swindoll, said this. When you say what you please, you say the wrong thing, usually. When tempted. When participating in things we shouldn't be. The grace of God not only saves us, empowers us to live, and teaches us to use self-control when those things happen. So as we exhibit self-control, we can meet that in every situation as we are tempted to be ungodly and tempted to be evil when tempted to do things that can wreck us and everybody around us. You know what I found about sin? In my own life and in the world, and in almost 17 years of doing this in five different states and a lot of different people, it's all the same. And here's what I found out about it: that sin is never done in a vacuum. There are no victimless crimes in sin. It always affects someone else. And so when you're tempted, and we, we lack self-control, that is given to us by God through His grace. And we express ourselves through our own repressed feelings and out of our own, you know, dark hearts, then we oftentimes apply those things and express those things in ways that do not bring a lot of glory to God and they are ungodly. They are not representative of of God and Jesus and His heart. And I suffer, and most of the time, all the time, usually, someone else does too. So He says, You're under no obligation to sin. You'll have to. It's not just because it's your personality. Or because you got pushed. Some of the most unbelievable moments of self-control. I remember being in a foreign country. Watching a man preach on the street. And there was a man about six feet from him spitting at him. Spitting. And I'm not talking like, like you know, spray. I'm talking loogies. Stepping back. Hawking up. lunging forward and spitting at this guy you know what he was doing? You know what he did? It was the most unbelievable picture of Christ's centered self-control I think I've ever seen in that kind of situation. He would duck and keep talking. Duck and keep talking. And he wasn't one of these street preachers that you see that you just wish would stop talking. He, he was speaking in a, in a voice. There was a crowd around him. He was trying to tell them about Jesus. Guy would spit, he'd duck, keep talking. Duck, keep talking. You know, there's scenarios, that's extreme. There's scenarios that pop up in our life that puts us right there in that situation, right? What, what, what is God calling us to do is through His grace gives us self control to do what? Duck and keep talking? Duck and keep talking. You're under no obligation to sin. You don't have to. So when you're, uh, duck, keep talking. That is the replacement of my sinful feelings and my feelings that I just cry out for. That is the replacement of God's character and of Christ's heart that he's given me through his grace And you. It allows us to do that when tempted. The other thing he says is the grace of God teaches us to use self-control when faced with things that are offensive to God. This is what that means in the differentiation is we are tempted generally by these things. But then we have to use self-control when we take part in things that aren't sinful but then can become offensive to God. So they, they might not be sinful on its face, and there might not be anything wrong with what we're doing on its face, and innately wrong or naturally wrong, um, but it could get there and become offensive to God. So he says worldliness because really what that means is, is a worldly mechanism. So basically he's saying that you and I can use self-control when the world tries to pull us into things that will offend God uh we don 't have that issue, do we? Oh man, i think that 's right where we live right now so so it 's not wrong to engage in conversation we have to it is not wrong to contend for truth. we have to It, it is not wrong to get involved in these things that it, it, you might work at a at a place where you 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 're you're providing for your family and there are situations there that. That, that unfortunately you, you're you involved in and you're, you might not be contributing, but as a believer, they're not innately wrong or on its face wrong, but man, some of that stuff can get offensive to God. And so really at the end of the day, we should never as believers and as someone who points toward Christ and someone who's trying to live for God in this world, we should never contribute to an offense to God. So So this should be a warning probably to me, definitely to me, And a warning to all of us as we begin to banter on social media and as we begin to talk to people about issues and about things. That that if it becomes something that then becomes offensive to God, then we have lost self-control that he desires for us. Activity that, not bad, but if it begins to derail or go off to a place in which it will be offensive to God and will be sin, then we should Ask God for self-control to be able to walk away and abandon that. So there's a difference there. It starts out good a lot of times. It starts out, you know, what's that, you know, cliche, the, you know, the, the path to destruction is lined with good intentions. I mean, everybody is, you know, everybody is good intended, right? It starts out that way. But then the world influences And then the believer ends up acting like the world. And the way in which we shine light and the way in which we differentiate and cause contrast to that through the grace of God is we use self-control in those moments. That's how a marriage looks different than the world. That it it exhibits self-control when tempted to sin because we're under no obligation, don't have to. And it uses self-control given to us through the grace of God when we start down a path that isn't bad, but then derails and gets offensive. Same in our relationships with friends. Same in the church. But the grace of God teaches us that. It helps us have that. It allows us to live in that. And so a life that uses self-control when tempted generally by sin, and doesn't do it, and exhibits God's character in it instead of the repressed feelings that I have because I'm controlled by him, and when we use self-control to know when to get off the bus, when something's going downhill, that also brings a lot of positivity and a lot of very internal impacting things to our relationships and to our marriages and families and world as well. And it shows discretion, and it shows wisdom on our part when we use and allow God to exhibit self-control in our lives when things start going south. And when the world says, you should do this, and you say, no, it's time for me to get off right here. It's an incredible testimony, and it is a picture of Jesus. How many times did he do that? Jesus would literally leave scenes. Pharisees would engage him, people would engage him. He had this impeccable sense of timing because he was Christ. He gives us the help to do that as well, to have this great sense of timing to when stuff gets a little crazy, you leave the scene before it gets offensive to God and then we're taking part in it. I think we can apply that in many ways across the board. I'm gonna let you kinda think through that. Um, I could give some examples, I've given a few, but I think there's probably different around the room, so that's something that you own. The last thing he says is this, he gave himself, and he's talking about Jesus, he gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness. That's, thank, thank goodness. Thank goodness he has redeemed me from wickedness because in my flesh and left to myself, I have a wicked heart. And to purify for himself a people, so now it's gone from, so, so now we not only just apply it individually, but it applies to us as, as a group, as a body, as a community. A people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. So this is what God's self-control through his grace gives us. It is catalytic. It is crucial. It is vital to a moral, upright, respectable, godly life that then incorporates that last thing that looks forward to doing good things. So a self-controlled life is one that is a moral life, an ethical life. It is one that is a respectable life. So not only do fellow Christians look at you and, and have a respectability, not because you're awesome, but because they say, man, there's obviously something different about this lady or this guy or, or this person, and, and, and man, I want that, or man, I don't know if I'm necessarily into that, but I, boy, I respect that. So it is a moral, upright life, a respectable life. But So so there is something that allows us to be, but it also allows us to do. And that is good things. So when lived in self-control through the grace of God, The, the salvation that saves and sustains, the grace that saves and sustains, we can live this life that is upright, respectable by the community and the world, And then we can express ourselves in a way to where things turn out pretty good. And we can have a direct effect and change in our environments and where we live and who we live with and who we parent and who we're married to. We can have a direct impact on that for the good. I think we're in this situation now in this moment in history where we must speak truth, but we must have wisdom in doing it. And when speaking truth, we must have and express love so that people can receive it. But when we are interacting in every way, we must, through the grace of God, have self-control. The replacement of my desire and my feelings for God's character and his desire to come out of my life. And when applied, not only do I do good things, I can't wait to do good things. And good things happen. The grace of God gives us the ability to exercise self-control and we are no obligation to sin when we find ourselves in a group of friends participating in gossip. When someone cuts you off in traffic, when your employer's name isn't paying attention, when your emotional impulses tell you that you deserve this. You're under no obligation to sin and you can use self-control when you are being blatantly mistreated and everything within you wants justice and vengeance. You're under no obligation to sin because of God's grace that gives us self-control when an addiction that you've found freedom and healing from comes calling it the most inconvenient and vulnerable time. You're under no obligation to sin, and the grace of God gives you and me the ability to exercise self-control when your child pushes you to your emotional limit. You're under no obligation to sin, the grace of God gives us self-control when your spouse pushes all your buttons Amen, okay. All right, amen. This is a big one. God, um, God can give you self-control when you... Uh, <laughs> God can give you self-control through his grace and you're under no obligation to sin. This is a big one. This is a big one for me. When you just want to have your way all the time. You're under an obligation to sin. You don't have to. And God, through his grace, gives us self-control to navigate those situations and our own heart by his power. And man, when you live that way, stuff changes. Dear God, we need you.